Hello and welcome to the Building City Shaping Lives podcast, where we talk about how architecture, engineering and managed services are shaping the world that we live in. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabana Jurong Group. I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and I'm part of the SJ Group Communications and Branding Team. I'd like you to close your eyes and imagine the Great Pyramids in Egypt. Camels in the distance, windswept dunes, rough steps, a dusty yellow-brown facade that's the colour of sand worn away by the desert. But this picture in your mind's eye looks nothing like the pyramids did 4,000 years ago. Unlike the stepped and weathered structure that we see today, the pyramids used to be dazzling white and almost perfectly smooth. In today's episode, we are diving into the art and the science behind designing for maintainability, which will hopefully keep today's buildings looking their best and serving their function well for many years to come. I'm told that a building that's been designed for maintainability can have an outsized contribution when it comes to reducing our carbon footprint. That makes it a topic close to the heart of Praveen Chandrasheka, who leads Sabana Jurong Group's Sustainability and Resilience Office, and was recently recognised with the Professional Leadership and Sustainability Award by Singapore's Building and Construction Authority. Welcome to the studio, Praveen. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me here on this podcast. We are going to start today's podcast with some time travel. You travel back in time to meet your 12-year-old self. What will you tell this 12-year-old version of Praveen? What can he look forward to working on in the future? I didn't have any clue on uh, about this sustainability when I was 12 years old. I'll, I know that uh, environment is very important. Uh, so I came from India where water stress is under very high levels. So we know the importance of water very well. So we know the importance of electricity and everything. So, it's, so it's, it's, it actually impacts your life at a greater depth. So when I first came into Singapore, actually that's where I I thought it's 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 so means people are they, they're taken for granted sometimes all those because it's so easily available, water is available 24 by 7 electricity there is no shutdown at all there is no distance news that there is a shutdown somewhere because of lack of electricity so there is actually a two different worlds people are living in so we can see that clear difference so I would say that especially in Singapore the younger generation to us should understand what is the struggle means what is the other part of the world, what's happening, how they, if you want to keep the way it is, like so smooth with a lot of resources, resource abundant nation, they need to start working to make sure that absolutely there is no leaks and no gaps in the way we use the resources, conserve the resources so that for the next hundreds of years, people can utilize the same way and they can enjoy the comforts they have. And I think linked to that, how does your job today actually tie into that, into helping us think about resources, not just for today and not just for countries that have that resource security? You know? Yeah, certainly like when I was in my, as a mechanical engineer, so I was, I worked as a mechanical engineer for seven years. So that's when I slowly understand the impact of the work we do. What is the downstream impact to the building? So certainly like when I started working, I was a, HVAC engineer designing air conditioning systems predominantly for hospitals and for IT buildings because IT was a was a booming sector in early 2000 when I started working and also fortunately all my experience was in Singapore based companies so that's where I came to know about Greenmark about green certification that actually encouraged me to take up the masters in sustainability so I have to so I thought it's a natural upgrade from being a mechanical engineer to a sustainability professional where I can use my base understanding of building systems where I can actually guide our clients towards a better design that's a wonderful story if I could sum it up 
While 12-year-old Ravine was worried about his access to water and energy, one day he'd be in charge of an international team working on resource security and, and circularity. It's a journey where you'll bring your experience as a HVAC or heating, ventilation, air conditioning engineer and connect that with enabling sustainability for the built environment. So to bring us back to today's topic, how can we help non-engineers like myself to understand the impact of DFM? Since all of us experience buildings daily, what would it feel like to live or to work in a building that has not been designed for maintainability? Okay, so it has it will impact uh, multiple stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I think first to start with uh, the building occupants. So they might have building which is not very comfortable to work with or to stay. For example, they might have a hot and cold, cold spots within the building offices because the systems are not designed properly and they may not have proper controls so that even if you complain to a facility managers, they may not have the tools and the controls to bring the temperature to a right desirable uh, levels. But that's because it's not been designed that way. So many of the olden, like old buildings, which is 30 years or 40 years uh, old buildings, they may not have these kind of thermostats even to control the temperature. And all most of the air cons are uh, constant air volume type, which will actually, uh, there is no variation to the weather or to the occupant uh, condition. So even though it's raining outside, pretty cold, it will still blast the same amount of air at the same temperature. So it becomes very uncomfortable. And being in a tropical climate, it almost a sin to wear a jacket within the office space. So that's what actually it relates to. So it might impact the building occupants in terms of bad indoor air quality and also may impact their productivity. So people are our assets. I think most of the organization feels so. So it impacts people, it impacts on the productivity of the facility managers. And also end of the day, it impacts the owner, the developer, because the bulk of the life cycle cost of the building starts only after the building is occupied. So when the building is constructed, that's only a fraction of the the whole life cycle cost. So much close to 70% of the, the total life cycle cost is associated with the operation stage. So that's where uh, the design for maintainability is a key aspect to consider, which is often ignored. One thing that that stood out to me was also the idea of that life cycle cost. So how does that also link to, I mean, some things I've heard about in terms of life cycle carbon. So how does that tie into the the sustainability or the carbon footprint uh, of a building in the long term? Okay, so for at least for Singapore context, it has multiple implications. One is our energy efficiency, which is I think is common for any other country, for any other building. But at the same time, it will impact the productivity. So we don't have much people who want to take up the facility management job. So that's where uh, the government chip in and they thought that hey, can we do better in terms of productivity? So it has implication to energy efficiency. It has implica- implication to productivity. It also implication to the aesthetics of the building, how well it is maintained. Because if you don't have accessibility, you don't maintain it. It will impact your aesthetics as well. And also the, the urban culture that we have, the placemaking, it impacts our placemaking. So in a way, it has... Uh, it has various implications. Uh, so yeah, those are the few examples, I would say. I like what you said about the aesthetics of the building. When I first did my research on this topic, I imagined that a building that's easily maintainable might also have to be quite you know, ugly. You have to make space for engineering spaces. It might impact your facade. But now it seems like this isn't really a trade-off after all. 
ओके इम्पॉर्टेंटली इट्स ऑन द प्रोडक्टिविटी यू सेव लॉट ऑफ कॉस्ट वेन यू हैव राइट एक्सेसिबिलिटी इट ऑल्सो हेल्प्स यू टू बिल्डिंग्स लुक बेटर फॉर एग्जाम्पल समटाइम सर्टन पार्ट ऑफ द फर्स्ट आर्ट इज सो डिफिकल्ट फॉर यू टू एक्सेस एंड इफ यू वॉन्ट टू एक्सेस यू नीड टू शेल लॉट ऑफ मनी यू नीड टू यू नीड टू कॉल अ टेंडर यू नीड टू एंगेज मे बी मे बी अ ह्यूज नंबर ऑफ पीपल द स्के फोल्डिंग सो इट मे इम्पैक्ट योर फंक्शनैलिटी ऑफ द बिल्डिंग यू मे नीड टू इम्पैक्ट योर द ओवरऑल बजट दैट यू ऑलोकेटेड सो ऑफन दे डिले दिस पार्ट एंड इट बिकम्स अ बिट ऑफ एस्थेटिकली नॉट दैट प्लीजिंग एंड दैट दैट ऑल्सो इम्पैक्ट योर सेफ्टी इफ यू नॉट हैविंग अ वेरी गुड एक्सेस टू योर फर्स्ट आर्ट सो इट हैज आई वुड से मल्टीपल इम्प्लीकेशन Uh, if you don't maintain uh, and in singapore generally we see that every facade is clean at least once a year that that's a common scenario to clean facade once a year if you don't have proper access certain part of the building may remain unclean for ages so that that and also it may have some uh, architectural structural deterioration over a period of time which you will not be able to access because of lack of accessibility which may impact as seepage into the water coming into the office spaces or even may have downstream lot of maintenance issues so yeah the access can create a lot of these kind of issues downstream Actually, that really sounds very interesting because it's not just uh, you know when you design it for maintainability, then you have to compromise somewhere else. But this sim- seems almost like a win-win-win solution. Yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. there's a trade-off. For example, if you don't, a simple example is you use a building sealant. The sealant generally used as a material between the dissimilar materials, or even the similar materials, to cushion it dif- because of the weather condition. The materials expand. This is to cushion that expansion, and also. uh to make it airtight at wherever is required and uh, and importantly to avoid the water to go in into the into the occupied space so but if this sealant is not properly selected often you need to replace certain portion of the sealant every 3 5 years then you need to build a scaffold and building scaffolding is very expensive in singapore context and also it's very expensive to bring the manpower and repair it one good example as you can see in new york if you walk anywhere uh, along the broadway uh, you can see there's so many scaffold there just there you don't know why it is there and if you keep asking somebody who's from uh, from local who's from new york they say that oh this is to avoid a government a kind of fines because as long as there is a scaffold you can still retain that as not touching your facade the moment you take it out they may put in new requirements so these are some of the implications of uh, that that definitely for older buildings they have certain problems but these are some of the things that is uh, unsightly things you can see i see and you have brought a very important stakeholder here governments and the role that they play in shaping policy around maintainability before we dive deeper into that you're listening to building cities shaping lives a podcast by the sabana jurong group Today we are in the studio with Praveen, head of SJ's Sustainability and Resilience Office, and we are talking about how buildings can be more comfortable, cleaner, and even more sustainable if they have been designed for maintainability. So, Praveen, back to what you mentioned about policies and loopholes. You gave that great example of New York, and I finally understand why so many buildings there are still covered with scaffolds for so many years after completion. To build on that point, Whose responsibility is it to design for maintainability? Is it up to governments to regulate, like Singapore's BCA or the Building and Construction Authority, or should building owners be the one that take the initiative? Okay, from my point of view, so based on my interaction with the developers and also how uh, what's happening currently in the industry, 
I would say if a developer don't want to invest on these kind of very basic design for maintainability, I would call it as an underinvestment. It's not a capex issue; it's an underinvestment. For example, accessibility is very important. It it, it gives a very safe access to the facility manager. It also uh, gives a what you say uh, a safe uh, and accessible uh, spaces within the within the premises. So if if a developer ignores that in the design stage, uh, want to cut cost. So that that I would call it as underinvestment. So leave alone having a payback. So it's an underinvestment to begin with. So I would say it's a responsibility of a developer, and also it's equally professionals like consultants like us. We are also equally responsible to integrate this in the design because not all developers may push this because they know they may not understand. I think just to dive a bit deeper into that, are there any tools available to developers or designers when it comes to this? Or earlier in the past, there was no such kind of a tools. Which is they they also have some kind of uh, a design for maintainability checklist by BCA, uh, but that checklist was not a mandatory item, and it was not a tool that everybody will were eager to go and implement it. So what BCA has done from past two three years, together with Supernaturong, I think we were really glad that we won the competition to develop Singapore's first design for maintainability tool. We call it as Midas. Initially, it was there's no I, which is MDAS, Maintainable and Design Appraisal System. We added I to make it as a as a golden touch. So that tells what are the key maintenance items. What are the solutions to that, and what is approximate cost? Not for all the items, at least for those key items. So a developer can still get a sense what it takes to implement this and what is a payback. It's great to hear that developers who have access to this tool, but it also sounds a bit more applicable to new buildings or greenfield projects rather than you know, brownfield older existing buildings. Is there still hope that Midas can make a difference? Is it too late for designing for maintainability to have an impact on the climate crisis? Oh, definitely not. Actually, there is no bad time to start a good thing. So this always, you can always start uh, afresh. Always. So for newer building, definitely we can always. For greenfield, it's not an issue. We can always integrate design for maintainability principles early, early in the design. So the key word is early, early design intervention. That's the key for new for greenfield projects. For brownfield projects, when the asset goes through a enhancement initiatives, you always have an opportunity to integrate design for maintainability. We can definitely touch close to eighty five percent of what you can achieve in a green build. You can also do the same for an existing building. The only constraints is structural. Maybe you cannot add a service lift to your rooftop. For an existing building, not possible. You cannot add certain things. You cannot change the type of the facade for an existing building. Uh, these are wherever there is structural implication that bit difficult to implement. But except those, the rest you can easily integrate. Is it fair to assume that all old buildings are difficult to maintain buildings, and all new buildings are much easier to maintain? Well, not really. It's actually an industry misconception that old buildings are difficult to maintain. But in fact, some of the old buildings are. Relatively quite easy compared to newer buildings. So, just to quote an example, that older buildings has better access-related provisions uh, compared to a new build because older buildings, I think there is an there was an emphasis on building maintenance. Gradually, the commercialization has taken over that kind of attitude to provide proper maintenance. Now, everything depends upon what is your net sellable areas, or net leasable areas. So that as the the market forces are. Are uh, driving this 
into a very constrained kind of a, um, a mechanical spaces where you cannot even undertake a normal maintenance so for example if it is technology yes there is there is a gradual evolution of technology so definitely definitely newer buildings has better technology better monitoring system better building um, uh, say control systems so uh, we can have a better visualization and controls but what were well, the, the the key principles of design for maintainability is you can see some of the older buildings have better adopted this even in the older buildings yeah so it's it's not fair to assume that all old buildings are are not maintainable. Absolutely not. So we are personally visited during our one of our like design for maintainability benchmarking exercise. I visited many old buildings in Singapore where the accessibilities are uh, provisions are even better than newer buildings. So in terms of access alone, yeah. Just given how many old buildings or uh, buildings that have been around for a while, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, that have been out there, how can we actually help these buildings to be, even if they weren't originally designed to be uh, maintainable, is it possible to retrofit uh, design for maintainability principles? That's a very important point. I think bulk of the building stock in Singapore uh, is existing building. And if we don't touch existing building, that means we are not covering the bulk of the, the stock here. So definitely, I would say it's uh, it's certainly possible to implement design for maintainability concepts for existing building. Uh, say when you do, a, because every building has their own cycles of uh, asset enhancement initiatives, we call it as AEIs. So each of these AEIs, you can plan certain portion of design for maintainability can be integrated because the way the framework has been drafted is by systems. That means not necessary. You need to change everything at one go. So this year you are doing uh, ACMV system uh, improvement works. Then you can implement that. So next, so you can have a roadmap or how you can actually implement in a phase-wise manner. So it's not a huge cost. And also what I would like to reiterate is it's not a cost. Design for maintainability, if we do a right start, it's not a cost item. For, of course, for existing building, if you want to replace a bell-driven fan versus a direct drive fans, which is 90% better when it comes to maintenance and also 20 to 30% better in terms of energy. Definitely there is a cost, but there is a quick returns because there is energy savings involved. So payback like three to four years payback for those kind of uh, kind of technology. And for certain technologies like uh, say, if, if you talk about existing buildings, say if you want to change sealants, of course you need to wait until certain degradation happens. And once you build scaffold, then you change the entire sealant. And then you need not to do every three to five years, then you can do it once in 15 years. So you can, that's very, I would say, uh, very invasive for those kind of facade, because always facade is very expensive, the ones you touch it. But you have other things like lighting, very easy, you can go with reliable light fixtures, very easy to change. You can have these kind of uh, mechanical systems like air conditioning system, where when you change your air handling units, you can select, you can customize the air handling unit so that you can have a maintenance. If you'd like to find out more about Midas and other similar resources, check out the podcast notes page. So Praveen, to close out today's session, what's one takeaway you'd like to leave us with? Yeah, I think sustainability is all about longevity. So you need to think about uh, uh, the entire building life cycle. So please don't go for paper-based certification. Don't just look into the until the temporary permit, until you get a TOP, temporary occupancy permit. So look beyond TOP stage into the whole building life cycle. And also please do include these concepts of design for maintainability, smart building systems as part of your design principles, which will eventually benefit not only the 
it will not only cut down your operational cost but definitely help the building occupants who are the the real assets who is going to use the facility yeah thanks so much Pravin as you said it's not just about cost but about people here's to our built environment becoming more maintainable and sustainable and more importantly lasting for many generations to come and thank you for listening to Building Cities Shaping Lives, a podcast by the Sabana Jurong Group, where we talk about how architecture, engineering, and managed services are shaping the world that we live in. I'm Daniel Lee, a communicator with the SJ Group. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms, and please consider leaving us a review to help make our future episodes better. That's all for today. See you next time.